Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello. This is a partly political broadcast from the Halfway in EU campaign. Do you realise that according to experts, if we leave the EU, then... According to other experts, if we remain, then... So, we here at the Halfway In campaign think we should add an extra option to the voting paper to allow us to stay just halfway in. Not be part of the EU, or leave the EU. But it said both and neither of those, so we skip the E and make it all about you. We like to think of it as the Grand Old Duke of York option, where we all just stay halfway up and instead of trying to please everyone, we ultimately equally disappoint everyone but avoid all of the... So, vote halfway in, because frankly, we're so bored of Remain and Brexit, we wish they're both just bruck right off. Hello and welcome to this week's Partly Political Broadcast. I'm Tian Nduyeb and as you might occasionally hear in the background, I'm joined this week by a very special guest, giant, fucking, massive, humongous horsefly that despite attempts to swat it or leave all the windows open so that it can fuck right off, he's managed to stick around for several days. I mean, it is seriously of the size where I'm genuinely thinking about asking it to start paying rent. Still, I suppose this is the first show that's genuinely had a buzz about it. Boom! really not sorry uh we're on episode 20 i don't know how that happened but thanks again for listening and constantly supporting this show um i'm genuinely baffled how we've got to episode 20 uh, especially considering uh, that somebody just let me know this week that in episode 17 i made a horrendous editing faux pas uh where in my interview with Ari chowdhury i managed to leave the bit where the line dropped and i called him back and the phone ringing and everything or the skype ringing uh is still in there um i don't know why it's taken you guys three weeks to let me know as well i mean seriously step up your game uh but yeah uh, sorry about that i am obviously not a professional producer i mean i'm rarely a professional anything except maybe biscuit eater and sitter um i'm very good at both those things if they were in the olympics uh, i'd probably stay at home eating biscuits and watching them um 
So, yes, sorry, not a professional producer. I don't want to um, shatter any podcast illusions that you guys may have. I should also throw this out there. I am recording this at home and not in some sort of secret underwater podcast space that I call the PPB HQ. Um, although if I was, then I probably wouldn't have a bloody horsefly, because how the hell would a horsefly get underwater? Although I bet this bastard would find a way. Uh, this week's episode is not very long, uh, which is probably a good thing. Uh, there was two episodes last week, which um, to those people that said one episode a week is too much, sorry that I then heard that, listened to your feedback and gave you two episodes in one week. Haha, <laughs> take that, dickheads. Um, but it was just a little bonus one. As a result, this week's is going to be a little bit shorter uh, and also... That's partly because really all the news is at the moment is, oh, well, if we remain, then everything's going to be bad. Oh, well, if we Brexit, then everything is going to be bad over and over again. Uh, I mean, people, how have we got to the point where the only person saying sensible things on TV is John Major, the the man who is the personification of the colour shitty grey? That's where we are. It's that terrible. Um, so we'll have a little bit of EU. Got an interview with Adam Ramsey from Open Democracy all about the current state of Scottish politics. Uh, and there'll be a couple of other bits and bobs. And then next week, I'm going to not have an interview at all. And it'll be an EU special. I'm going to just do stuff about the EU. Um, so if you have any questions, any particular areas you don't understand or want to know more about, please do drop me a line on Twitter at Bro on Facebook uh, at Bro as well, or on the never ever used email partlypoliticalbroadcast.com before it just dries up and closes up forever. I presume that's what happens with emails. I've never let that happen. Um, So yeah, drop us a line. I'll be happy to answer everything uh, possible because really I don't have much else to do with my life. Right, time for this week's Headlines! Much like a Mothman sighting before a tragedy, melanoma with a face Donald Trump has taken it upon himself to be the EU referendum harbinger of doom and visit the UK on June the 22nd. Donald Trump has said that he thinks the UK would be better off without the EU, but no one's quite sure if he really knows what or where the EU is, so I'm not sure it counts as an opinion. Though, to be fair, he did say his views on the UK and the EU were a personal belief and not a recommendation, which I think means they're now on a complete par with all the thoughts that he's had during his entire US presidential campaign. Also, it doesn't really matter what side Donald Trump's on, does it really? Because whatever he says, it'll probably be a massive boost to the other campaign and will be mostly made up anyway. It's uncertain if David Cameron will be meeting Donald Trump after calling him divisive, stupid and wrong at the end of last year, which, coming from David Cameron, could also mean that that's a compliment and he'll just ask him to be part of the cabinet any time soon. I think what we should actually do is that when Donald Trump arrives, we should all find ways to make sure that he can't actually leave the country or return to the US until after the swearing-in of a new president and therefore save humanity. What do you mean if Hillary is president, she'll probably start a war even quicker than Donald? Oh god, well can we invite her over too and try the same plan? Sports Direct boss Mike Ashley says that he's going to go before MPs, which sounds really grim, but I'm sure several politicians are into that. Disgusting cheap poo jokes aside, uh, he will be talking about working conditions at his company Sports Direct on account of certain reports making it sound like some sort of Dickensian workhouse and not, as Sports Direct should be, a workout. Hopefully the Business Innovation and Skills Committee will get Mike Ashley to reverse his zero-hour contracts and terrible conditions and not, as is probably just as likely, take all his ideas and try using them for the public sector instead. 
You know Vice magazine, the definitive publication of trying too hard? Well, in amongst their usual think pieces on why breathing air is no longer cool or why all toasters are bisexual, they released a half-hour documentary that follows Labour leader and human jumble sale Jeremy Corbyn over the months leading to the recent local elections. As with all Jeremy Corbyn-related media, those who love him think it showed a man defiant of standard politics doing things his own way, whereas those who hate him think it showed a useless, unelectable man make several bad decisions. I thought it was somewhere between the two, showing a politician actually connecting with everyday people, which was really nice, but then also failing to bring up Ian Duncan Smith's resignation in the House of Commons by his own choice, which was the political equivalent of seeing an open goal and instead turning around and booting the football past your own keeper. Ultimately, it probably won't change your mind about the man, uh, whatever you think, and there is a very, very funny version of it on YouTube set to the music from The Office, which is brilliant and suits it far too well. But yeah, look, it's worth watching, if only to see the man who's in charge of trying to get Jeremy Corbyn to dress smart, despite the fact that he himself looks like he slept in his clothes for several months. As England is filled with, uh, ing, and Ireland has much, uh, ire, okay, this is tenuous, and Ireland doesn't have much ire, but definitely Scotland is indeed the home of Scots. Since the vote for Scottish devolution in 1998 and the more recent independence referendum in 2014, Scotland has very much become a solo player when it comes to the UK political scene, with many Scottish people voting for more localised politicians from the SNP rather than the Westminster lot who are at least a six-hour train ride away with no plugs and very, very temperamental Wi-Fi and no leg... I mean, they're the worst. They are the worst trains. But while the Scottish National Party still have a lot of support, it has waned slightly in the recent elections, and issues with educational inequality and a recent vote for Scottish Labour's policy of a ban on fracking are things set to change. Well, this week I spoke to co-editor of independent global media platform Open Democracy, Adam Ramsey, uh, who's tried to break down what's happening in Scotland right now. Just a few heads up before we start this interview, um, Adam is a Green campaigner and was and still is pro-independence for Scotland, so uh, as I know from some of the Scottish listeners to this podcast, some of his opinions may be the opposite to a few of you, but he's incredibly knowledgeable on Scottish politics, uh, and as you know, I prefer to let my interviewees talk rather than interrogate them Paxman style, uh, which is partly because I interview them on Skype, and trying to interrogate them Paxman style on Skype uh, just ends up sounding like two people shouting over slightly delayed answers. What I'm more concerned about, though, uh, in warning you beforehand, is that um, Adam Ramsey sounds very English, not Scottish. And I'm sure to any Scottish listeners, me asking an English person about Scottish politics is like asking a fish for information on the Sahara. But Adam is actually Scottish and Edinburgh-based, despite his English tones, uh, so he is totes legit for this chat. But also, despite me knowing an okay amount about Scottish Parliament, I had a complete mind blank when interviewing Adam, and I managed to completely forget if it was a Parliament or an Assembly or what was going on, and generally was all a bit stupidly muddled. Uh, it was a bank holiday Monday, cut a guy some slack. So, after all that probably unnecessary build-up, here's Adam. Since the, the, the last elections, uh, just a few weeks ago, quite a lot of uh, news programmes and political commentators have said that Scotland should now be seen as separate from the UK with its uh, kind of uh, election results not necessarily having any impact on, on uh, England and Wales. Um, do you think that's the case now? Yeah, I, mean, I think in terms of the political conversation for most of the country here in Scotland, things are just different. The factors are different. The questions are different. 
people, you know, um, vote for different parties and think about them in different ways. So that's certainly true. Although, of course, the problem is that come 2020, Scotland will still be sending MPs again to Westminster. And so the results of the next election will obviously include Scotland again. I think Labour in England still hasn't thought about the problem it had in the last election, was explaining to English voters what it will do if it's going to be dependent on SNP MPs coming down from Scotland. So Scotland, of course, so I guess what I'm saying is that the political culture has become very different. It's sort of almost independent in a sense, but because Scotland is still legally part of the UK, it will still have an impact on British politics uh, over the next, well, up to, running up to the next election and particularly in the next election. And I think that's something no one's really thinking about much. And But how, I mean, that's quite a hard thing for them to tackle as well, because if... Uh, if Scotland is acting as its own kind of entity politically, um, then how do you tackle that if you're a party that's based in the other parts of the UK anyway? Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? But I, I suppose, and for me, the question is, you know, when I talk to my friends in England who are excited about Jeremy Corbyn, you know, one of the things I often find myself saying to them is, you know, it's not, I believe that someone on the left of the Labour Party could plausibly be elected Prime Minister of the UK in general, but that's, not going to happen if the Tories are able to do what they did last time with their Miliband, which is say, oh, they're going to be entirely dependent on these terrifying SNP MPs. And for me, one of the mistakes Miliband made was sort of confirming that narrative by saying, oh, I would never talk to Nicola Sturgeon. She's awful. Isn't that horrible? No, no way. That's incredible. No. But what he could have said was, you know, essentially something on the lines of, well, I want to be Prime Minister with a majority government, but you know, the people of Britain will elect the MPs they elect and they'll get the government they vote for. And if that means that sometimes I need to collaborate with the SNP to pass some laws, then I'll do that and I'll also talk to other people or whatever. But the point is they need to find a way to answer that question. The Tories will do exactly the same thing again in four years' time. Yeah, I mean, that was, uh, I think that was one of the many things Ed, Bil- Ed Miliband did that was, <laughs> you know, he also kind of went, yeah, we we, uh, we did cause uh, financial problems. Like, Stop owning up to things you haven't done. Anyway, um, yeah, I-, I could rant about that for about an hour. Um Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so the, the last, the sort of more recent elections uh, in Scotland, um, and and I and now I should say that my knowledge of Scottish Parliament and uh, Scottish governance is limited. So the recent elections were for the um, for the assembly. No, it's oh, not. It's not an assembly, is it? In Scotland, it's. It's a parliament. We have a parliament up here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's Scottish Parliament, and then there's also the MPs for the Westminster Parliament. So that's how it's done as two two separate parliaments, isn't it? Right. Right. So the recent elections were for Scottish Parliament um, and uh, there was sort of a rise of votes for the Conservatives and obviously Labour lost quite a lot of votes. Is that a sign of Scotland kind of becoming more right wing, do you think? Because that seems quite unusual for someone like me who uh, has been to Scotland quite a lot, knows a fair few Scottish people. That that feels an odd sentiment for Scotland to suddenly take. Yes, I, I think it's worth saying two things about that. Firstly, yeah, the Tories came second. They only got kind of 22, 23 percent of the vote. So it's not like, you know, the media portrayed this as some kind of return of the Conservatives in Scotland. You know, that 23% is what is less than they got when they were first seen as being wiped out in Scotland. So, you know, this is, it's hardly a sort of storming result, like getting less than a quarter of the vote. But the other thing that's happened, I think, is um, there's a sort of short version and a long version. The short version, basically, is a polarisation between kind of very clear support of independence and what was seen as the clearest support of the union. So there's a kind of quarter of Scottish voters who are very keen on staying in the union. They didn't just vote no in the referendum, they passionately voted no. 
and they all voted Tory no matter how they voted in the past. The other way to see this, which is, I think, kind of a slightly longer story, but it's important to follow through, is that there's a whole group of people who used to vote Lib Dem, and remember the Lib Dems always depended on Scotland more even than Labour did, you know, so Mm. disproportionate number of Lib Dem MPs came from Scotland before they were wiped out. And there's a big chunk of people who voted Lib Dem uh, in 2005, in 2010, and before that. In the 2011 Scottish Parliament elections went to Labour. So when the SNP did very well, because lots of working class people went from Labour to the SNP, the reason Labour didn't totally collapse that time, and sorry this is a bit long. No, 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 it's, it's fascinating, go for it. Yeah. The reason Labour totally collapsed that time was a lot of old Lib Dem voters who were cross about the coalition at Westminster went to Labour and kind of propped up their voting bits. And what it looks to me like, and there's not been a proper study of this yet, but this would be my best guess at what they'll say when it comes out, is that those Lib Dems then went Tory this time round, kind of the same way as places like Twickenham, you know, which used to vote for Vince Cable and Lib Dems, went Tory in England. Sure. Sort of, you know, also like Lib Dem voted in Edinburgh, voted Tory this time. And the thing is that those people have always been quite right thing anyway. You know, Edinburgh, like people in Edinburgh who I live in Edinburgh, people in Edinburgh voted Lib Dem, a lot of the time, that was just because. It's quite. It's like rude to vote Tory in Scotland, so you wouldn't do it because you're not rude. <laughs> right. But you have opinions. You know, people who have been deep in Scotland do have right wing thoughts. It's just that they tended to vote Labour or Lib Dem in the past. So I don't think their attitudes have shifted to the right. I think they've polarised between yes and no voters, and the people who basically were Tories anyway, but they just happened to vote Labour or Lib Dem for historic reasons, have shifted to the Tories, and those two things led to the Tories having their best result in a very long time, which was 22, 23%. Sure. Right. Yeah. And I guess that also makes sense if the people are sort of right wing or centre right and now Labour's gone left again, uh, they won't be on the side of Labour anymore. They'll head for the Conservatives instead. Yeah, yeah. that does make sense. Sure. And and, and so in, in general, with, with things in Scotland now, and, and I, I, I sort of feel that, especially here in England, that the news that we get about Scottish politics is nearly always just whether or not there'll be another independence referendum. <laughs> That's the yeah. only news that seems to pop up. I mean, what what actual political issues is Scotland having at the moment? You know, are the SNP government doing a decent job? Or, um, you know, cause we've heard quite a lot of issues with education and things like that. H- how are things going? So I suppose the sort of general consensus on the SNP, if there is such a thing, is they're seen as sort of practical but a bit dull if that makes sense. Mm. So I, I moved back up here from Oxford um, a few months ago. And I suppose for me the difference is between having kind of boring accountants in charge who sort of manage things fine, you know, yeah. you don't think they're trying to do their best but they're not very exciting most of the time, and having kind of uh, sleazy um, bankers who are trying to flog off the whole country in charge. So it's not, you know, it's not like having the Tories in charge who are like, trying to flog off your country at a low, at a low rate to their rich mates versus having your boring accountant in charge. So I guess what I mean is, like, you know, I find it hard to get excited about the SNP. I don't feel like there's that many so- much stuff they're doing which is kind of really sort of confronting the big challenges of the future. But at the same time, it's hard to hate them, you know. The people who run the country, they're doing their best. They're sort of, um, you know, they make some mistakes. As you say, education's a big issue at the moment. I worry that, you know, they might uh, move towards some of the kind of more... Tory-style potential solutions, well, I think they should be going in the other direction from that. But I don't, you know, it's sort of they're not. You don't have that sense of the deep corruption that the city forces on Westminster in there. It's just sort of, you know, it feels like kind of moderate people doing their best, which is at least not awful. It's sort of not humiliating to be governed by them. 
Right. Okay. Because because I have um, and again I should say like my knowledge on this is is limited, but I have heard kind of uh, rumblings about uh, inequality issues and things since the SNP government have been in place. Um, is that then to do with them, or is that to do with other kind of uh, issues like declining global oil prices and things like that? Well, it's, it's, it's always a combination, isn't it? So I mean, absolutely, the Scottish economy has been hit by the collapse in oil, um, and. I think there's more the SNP could have been doing to move the Scottish economy away from oil. But to be fair to them, they have done, you know, for example, they've done a lot to move towards renewable energy, and technically energy is still reserved to Westminster, and the Tories have been undermining that. And so they sort of defend themselves, and of course what they say is sort of half true, but I do feel like, you know, I suppose what I think is that to confront the very significant challenges of the modern world, you can't just be moderate, you need to be radical. And so they're trying to solve massive and changing problems with sort of small, moderate tweaks. And what you need is big, bold, radical vision. And so they, you know, they, they don't have that radical vision in the same way, which means that often when they're confronted with massive problems like collapsing oil prices and climate change, the flip side of that, or like you know the soaring inequality we're seeing all across the Western world, they don't do the sorts of big things you need to do to solve those problems, but at least they're not kind of trying to make them worse, which is what I feel the Tories are doing. So do you think that then if you're kind of saying that they're not particularly exciting, they're not as bad, you know, they're not as kind of drastic as Conservatives, are like are the SNP sort of most favourable or do they keep winning elections then kind of on the basis of uh, wanting an independent Scotland? Is that what's still keeping the voters going for them? No, I think the opposite. So, I mean, the... So every election up until the one we just had, um, the people who talked about independence were the Labour Party. So they'd say, you can't vote SNP because they want independence, and that means costly divorce. Right. And the SNP would say, uh, vote SNP because we'll make education free and we'll end PFI and you know, all these sort of general centre-left things. And, and that's how they got into power in the first place. And this election, it sort of felt about people who talked about independence in this election were the Tories. So Ruth Davidson, the Tory leader... Would, you know, every possible chance she would talk about how they want a second referendum and that's awful and we've just had one and you know you want to tear us apart and isn't that terrible and the SNP would you know try and talk about you know basically how great Nicola Sturgeon was at running the country and, and, and you know so so they don't although it is now the case that the country has increasingly polarised into yes and no voters and so people who vote SNP do so because they voted yes in the referendum and they're in favour of independence on the whole you know, support for the SNP came before support for independence. You know, remember the referendum only happened because they got a majority in the first place, and that wasn't, they didn't get that majority by talking about independence. They barely mentioned it. You know, it was Labour who would always bring it up. You know, they got that majority by being a sort of solid centre-left party right. which seemed to be governing the interests of everyone. And then, because they had that support, and they, you know, people trusted them, they were then able to have the referendum, and then, you know, because... That referendum had opened up a whole load of space, and in a sense, what happened then was that I think the left got a lot of people to support independence. It was in a bolder way than the SNP had. And of course, the other story of this election was that the Greens, you know, significantly increased uh, their number of MSPs from two sure. to six, as a trebling of MSPs. In a way, that was an expression of that more radical vision of independence. And you know, the Green Party membership grew from about a thousand to about ten thousand just off the referendum, and so wow. you know, it's this huge shift and that's been another big alignment in a way it got sort of now it's, you know bigger than the Lib Dems now it's in terms of MSPs significant force in favour of independence to the left of the SNP. Well I didn't realise uh, I knew Scottish Greens had quite a big boost but that is that's a massive boost isn't it? 
Yeah, so I mean, literally the day after the referendum, the Scottish Green membership went from about 1,200 to about 9,000, and it's now growing from there. The SNP did the same, so they went from sort of, I think, around 20,000, 25,000 up to around 100,000 in, in two days. You know, so um, extraordinary growth. Yeah, that is incredible. Um, and and sort of just to just to jump back a bit, what 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 are the issues at the moment that that uh, about education in Scotland? Um, I saw that it was the was it the Sutton Trust that said that poor kids are much less likely to go to university uh, in Scotland than they are in England. Um, and uh, also, there's sort of been. Uh, issues with education and kind of uh, was it secondary school education with literacy and numeracy, numeracy rates declining um what's what's happened there and, and are the SNP kind of doing enough to tackle it at the moment yeah so I, mean, I guess the first thing to say is these are very long-term issues you know um scotland has a sort of strange combination of some stats will say that scotland is the most educated country in the western world and other stats will tell you that there's deep inequality within that and you know, for me, I don't think you can fix education by just looking at it in isolation. So, you know, you can play around with the education system a bit. And I think that in some ways I worry the SNP is going in the wrong direction. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. For example, introducing or, you know, looking at kind of more testing and more exams. I think that, you know, most educational theory these days tell us we should have less testing and fewer exams and, you know, that if you teach people for tests, then you know, teach them to the test. Um, yeah. yeah, that's what's happened with all the... You know, is, yeah. is the kind of classic problems of post-industrial societies. So, you know, the west of Scotland, you know, Glasgow, in many ways is a very similar sort of city to somewhere like Liverpool. Um, got real problems of poverty. You know, the life expectancy in some areas of Glasgow is lower than the life expectancy in, you know, the Gaza Strip or Fallujah. Um, you've got real serious yeah. poverty still. And so I suppose what I think is that there's this mistake people make of trying to make teachers wholly accountable for problem education. When actually often, you know, if you've got a kid showing up to school who's hungry and because you know, they haven't had breakfast and they're living in a damp house and their parents are 
you know, both out working three jobs just to pay the rent on that house and can't help with their homework, then it's not surprising that, you know, education standards are falling. So I suppose, I suppose what I'm saying is that, you know, absolutely there's more that should be done about education. I'm not convinced that the some of the direction the SNP wants to go in is the right one. Um, but I also think that that's partly also about the broader, deep problems of poverty in big chunks of Scotland. Scotland as a whole is... It's not poorer than the rest of the UK. It's about the same wealth as the rest of the UK. It's the third richest. You see, as a region of the UK, it's the third richest region after London and the South East. But it's got real problems of post-industrial poverty, you know, just like you see in, in bits of Northern England, for example. Sure. And, and um, uh, yeah, cause I, I think that you were saying it's sort of uh, pushing towards a more test-based education system is, is I mean, that we've seen recent results from SAT tests in the UK and how badly that's really upset teachers and children I think everywhere it seems like a terrible idea um but also there, there's a proposal that the government have uh, announced haven't they to delegate the running of the schools to local authorities um now do you, do you think that sounds like a sensible idea because I, I suppose to me that sounds a little bit like the academization program in the UK where the government are kind of uh delegating it away from themselves to a more kind of localized uh, authority um well, yeah, would that would that work? I mean, does that sound like something that would actually work in Scotland, though? Well, so as I understand the changes that they're talking about, so school clusters. Um, traditionally, local authorities, both in Scotland and England, do do run schools. So comprehensives are run by local authorities, which are democratically accountable, and that's a good thing. I mean, the mm. um, the English system, which is going down the road, you know, of giving sort of head teachers money in effect, and then kind of slowly, as I think it's in England, you know, slow privatisation in effect. And in Scotland, the beginning, you know, what Nicola Surgeon said during the election was she was willing to consider all options. Now, on paper, that doesn't sound like a bad thing. And, of course, what conclusion she comes to, you know, might be the right one. But there's been some discussion about, you know, devolving more budgets to head teachers. And, again, is that a bad thing? Well, depends on what it's aiming towards. If it's a first step down a road towards a kind of English-style academisation process, I'd see that as a bad thing, less democratic accountability to the community. Uh, and, you know, so I suppose, in a, in a way, what's happening is that the SNP has said that in the next government, you know, they've been in Parliament for two terms now, in the next term, they're going to be confronting education full on. And of course, the problem with that is it doesn't tell you what direction they're going to take it in. Sure. And, you know, so, so absolutely, prioritising education is a good thing, but you can't just say it's a priority, you have to say what you're going to do about it. And, at the moment, we still, it feels like we're in this stage where they say a whole bunch of things. Some of them sound to me like good ideas, others sound like bad ideas. There's still some chance, I think, for people to have a conversation about it. And the person, that, interestingly, the person that Nicola Sturgeon has put in charge of education is John Swinney. So John Swinney was the leader of the of the SNP rather before uh, Salmon was. So right. you know, in the previous era, he's deputy first minister. He was the finance minister for the last nine years. He was the man who ran the country in effect. So kind of. When Salmon was first minister, it was like this troika that ran the country, Salmon, Sturgeon and Swinney. And as far as everyone knew, really, it was really John Swinney who pulled the strings. Salmon was the front man along with Sturgeon and John Swinney ran the country. So when she puts Swinney in charge, what she's saying is, this is genuinely the main thing we're going to do. You know, I've got my best man, he was the finance minister, he was running the whole country, and he's now going to be in charge just of running schools. And that's a good thing in a way, you know, he's still competent. But again, for me, it doesn't tell you what, he's going to do what he's going to change what you know what 
what's his direction of travel, sure. what's the approach? And so I want to see more about that, and we're going to have, I think over the next five years, there'll be a, there'll be a big debate in Scotland about all those things. And the thing that's interesting about the SNP is that you can influence them. So when you get big social movements pushing in one direction, they tend to go in that direction. So I think you'll have this sort of fight between the lobbyists of the private education sector trying to get their hands on Scottish schools, and you'll have sort of the trade unions and the left trying to push them the other direction, and we'll see how that plays out over the next term. And we'll be back with Adam in just a minute. But first... With or without you With or without you Right, let's rattle through this week's chapter of the EU referendum shitshow extravaganza where topping the list of ridiculous claims was from the UK's only known sufferer of oral flatulence and melted blowfish impersonator Nigel Farage. Now, I know that after a history of wildly inaccurate and offensive comments such as migrants all having HIV or how millions of Bulgarians had swarmed to the UK at the beginning of last year, you'll be shocked that someone as restrained as Farage has said something else completely horrific. This time, Nigel has said that staying in the EU would increase the risk of sex attacks by migrants. Now, I'm not sure if that's just his German wife promising some sort of very upfront campaign of her own, but if not, I can't imagine that all EU migrants that have been living in the UK for years will suddenly rise up post-referendum votes screaming, They aren't leaving! Now is the time! Many on the Vote Leave campaign have said that Farage's comments are outrageous, because they are, and even Michael Gove said that he wouldn't make comments like that. Instead, of course, Michael Gove has chosen to pretend that he's anti-elitism and pro-worker, despite years of him not voting against a banker's bonus cap, helping private businessmen like Theodore Agnew receive knighthoods because they donated to the Conservative Party, or wanting to spend £60 million of taxpayers' money on a yacht for the Queen, an unelected elitist ruler of Britain. Gove has also repeatedly said that if we didn't give money to the EU, we could give an extra £100 billion a year to the NHS. The key word in that statement is could. Because aside from it being a ludicrous claim, as there's no guarantee where the money not spent on the EU would go, or if it would need to be used for other trade negotiations across the EU countries anyway, once we're no longer part of it, uh, there is also the fact that if Michael Gove was in charge, that money probably wouldn't go anywhere near the NHS anyway, considering he once said that it is no longer relevant in the 21st century. Which is a really odd comment to come from someone who always looks like he's really, really ill. Meanwhile, on the Remain campaign, the Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte stood up for it, saying that a points-based immigration system would lead to a race to the bottom, which sounds like some sort of post-Watershed game show. And former Prime Minister and talking cardboard John Major said that the Leave campaign is depressing, which is quite a statement coming from him. And he also said that the NHS would be about as safe as a pet hamster in the presence of a hungry python if Boris Johnson and Michael Gove ended up in charge of it. And while I don't disagree, I also think that under Cameron and Jeremy Hunt, the NHS is very much like someone's put sauce on that hamster and given the python a knife and fork. Which, yeah, would be useless to a snake, but I bet Jeremy Hunt wouldn't figure that out for quite some time. So aside from all of that, this week I thought I would quickly talk about TTIP, or as you might call it, TTIP, or TTIP, or TTIPAPA, or the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership for long. TTIP is a proposed trade agreement between the US and the EU, with the aim of, as they say in gargle business speak, promoting trade and economic growth. But what they actually mean is, ruin things to the extent that Starbucks could build a shop in your bathroom, and if you complain that you need that space in order to take a shit, they'll sue you for loss of profits. 
The TTIB is a very controversial deal as it could lead to changes in food safety legislation so that grub contains more genetically modified ingredients. And it could also cause the further loosening of bank regulations, which considering how the City of London already operates, I think that means bank regulations would be popped into a duffel bag and driven to the woods to be released into the wild. Jobs could also be at threat if TTIP passes, as US labour standards are much lower than the EU's and trade union rights are also much lower. Perhaps most worrying of all is the part of TTIP that includes signing up to the ISDS, or Investor State Dispute Settlements, which would allow companies to sue the government if they implement policies that could lose them profit. That would mean the reversing of privatisation of public institutes would be incredibly difficult, or companies could sue if, say, the minimum wage was increased as it might harm their profits. And health policies that advise against certain products would probably be avoided despite their benefit. I mean, Mars Incorporated could sue because the sugar tax makes it less affordable for people to have a Mars a day. Or Tesco could sue because the child working laws mean that every little can't actually help all of the time. Now, part of the left-wing leave the EU argument is that by leaving the EU, we wouldn't be subjected to TTIP or CETA, the Canadian equivalent, as it's a deal with the EU. But David Cameron is the one who is most keen to sign up to it, and he has said that he still thinks it would be good for the UK, so even if we Brexited, we'd probably sign up anyway. But look, before you start growing your own crops and preparing for a life of Walmart, protesters against TTIP have managed to get the government to confirm that they will back a bill to protect the NHS from it. But there are still a lot of critics in Parliament who don't want the deal pushed through at all while ISDS is still part of it. So hopefully we won't find ourselves in just a few years' time with the government scrapping the last vestiges of the Arts Council budget because it demeans the idea of Subway sandwich artists. So, does any of that information help you decide whether you should stay or leave the EU? Yet again, no. And now back to Adam. Why are Scottish politicians, and I think most, it seems to be the sentiment really in Scotland in general, why are Scottish people so pro-EU? Why are they so pro-remaining? Uh, I think that's a very interesting question. And, um, and what's interesting is if you do opinion polls about how much people like the EU, then Scottish people say roughly the same things as people across the rest of the UK, and actually across most of Europe, which is they think it's, you know, got various problems and so on. If you then ask if they're going to vote to stay in or leave, then Scottish people are much, much more likely to say they're going to vote to stay in. Right. I think for me, there's a few potential explanations. So one is about identity. So I think that Scottish people are quite used to having what we sometimes call Russian doll identities. So it's okay. if you're used to being Scottish and British and you understand what both those things mean, then adding another Russian doll to that and being European as well is kind of perfectly easy and normal. Whereas if you're sort of, you know, I always think English people have a very different understanding because they think English and British are the same thing rather than one inside the other. They're sort of two sides of the same coin. And so you can't add a third, I'm also European to that. So to be Scottish and British and European is easy. To be English and European is much harder in terms of identity. Um... I think, you know, in general, Scottish people have, you know, more um, socially liberal attitudes on things. So if you look at opinion polling on anything from gay marriage to abortion, Scotland's about kind of 5% more progressive on the whole. So it's not that surprising that there's a more kind of generally pro-EU stance. Um, there's a long history. So Scotland has kind of always uh, been a trading nation, trading across the North Sea with the rest of Europe. And always had this sort of, you know, it's got the old alliance linked with France. So it saw itself as much a European country, you know, allied with France long before it was seen. It saw itself as allied with England and being part of Britain. Um, and and also, some, I think it's just about 
sort of the institutions of power. There is no sort of strong, um, you know, pro uh, Brexit institution in Scotland. You know, there's like the Tories aren't powerful here, although as you just discussed, slightly more powerful now, but still not sure. very. There's no UKIP. You know, there's no, there aren't like there's no one to make the case. There's, you know, which politician would in Scotland kind of persuade people of the case for leaving the EU, and, and there kind of isn't anyone. So I think the whole lot of factors, but um, the combination of them certainly means that you know Scotland is significantly more pro EU. And I suppose you know the SNP have been here making the case to stay in the EU for a very long time. And, and I, I, sorry, it's quite a long answer. But I suppose the other thing is on immigration, there just isn't the same salience of concern about immigration. So yeah, sure, polls show that, you know, a good number of Scottish people, when you ask them, would rather would have less immigration. But when you ask them to list their priority of issues, no, you know, immigration is a lot further down in Scotland. And again, I think that is because there is a culture in political parties of, say, of, of not being cowardly on this, of saying, no, we don't think the immigration is a problem. We think it's, you know, a whole range of other things. And, and the, you know, the SNP and Labour and the left and everyone... Because you've all actually been quite good on that up here in a way they haven't in, in England. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. So basically, uh, your MPs have been more honest and therefore people are more interested in staying in. That's fascinating. Um, and, and do you think, because uh, there's also been all this kind of uh, rhetoric, I think, I think it's rhetoric about, you know, a Brexit could trigger another independence referendum with, with Scotland. Um and obviously the SNP have given a, a no referendum commitment in the manifesto and obviously another referendum have to be approved with Westminster. Uh, do you think that could actually happen? Do you think if if, if uh, the UK voted for a Brexit, then Scotland would, would seek to uh, leave the UK again? Um, to, just to clarify one detail, they have, the SNP haven't given a commitment not to having a referendum. Right, OK. They given a commitment to having one, if that makes sense. Um, so what they said is they'd only have a referendum if there was a change in material circumstances. Ah, okay, okay. And, and, and the kind of the one which was always mentioned was if there was a Brexit referendum. Now, as you say, because I think there's two things here. The first is, would the SNP want to call a referendum? To which I think the answer is basically yes. They think it would be, and they think it would be a slightly difficult context to have one in. They haven't really done the work yet. Just, you know, they'd rather do it on their own timeline than sort of timeline dictated by external circumstance. But I think that it would be quite hard for them not to because there would be significant demand from Scottish civil society that there was a referendum. I think, you know, everyone who voted yes would say, come on, guys. And that includes, you know, to be honest, the staff of most NGOs. It includes a lot of senior academics and, you know, leading figures in at least some of the universities. And, you know, I think in the context of leaving the EU, a lot of people who voted no last time would be pushing for a second referendum so they could stay in the EU. So I think it become very hard for the SNP not to call one. Now, as you say, though, technically, Westminster has to say yes to it because it's still reserved to Westminster whether that happens. So then well, what happens there is kind of anyone's guess. We could easily end up in a position like Catalonia where the Scottish government is demanding another referendum. They even maybe organise a kind of unofficial referendum. And Westminster has to decide whether it's going to actually say no and try and ban Scotland from leaving or whether it's going to say, you know, actually it's easier just to say, you know, fine, off you go. Um, I don't know how they go. I genuinely, I think it's a difficult question. It could be a defining issue post-Brexit if that happens. Yeah, I mean, it, it does, it, much like many things uh, with this EU referendum, it's another complete unknown, I, I guess. Uh, we just have no idea what will happen, <laughs> depending on the results. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, um, that's really interesting. I mean, it, it sort of it, it strikes me as well that that's something the government, like the Westminster government, probably wouldn't want if one union breaks up. I don't know if they'd want two on their hands uh, in such quick succession. I'm sure they wouldn't want it. I think the, the the difficult thing for them is whether it's worse to in that context to ban it and end up with you know, um, sort of a more, you know, the one thing, so in, in Catalonia what's happened is the Spanish government have banned them from having an independence referendum. And of right. course that's pushed support for independence right, right up. Sure. Yeah, so whereas if they'd, had, if they'd let one happen right at the beginning, this, you know, the people might not have voted for independence. Now if they, if a referendum does finally happen, it'll almost certainly be a yes vote in Catalonia. And I suppose they might, you know, they might have learned that lesson um, and realised that maybe they're better to let Scotland go than end up being seen to sort of you know, not allow people to have their independence that they voted for, you know, all they want. So, I don't know, we'll see. Thanks to Adam for chatting with me. Uh, he can be found on Twitter at Adam Ramsey and Open Democracy is uh, opendemocracy.net online or at Open Democracy on Twitter. Uh, Adam's also part of Bright Green, which is an independent analysis of the Green movement, and you can check that out on Twitter too, at BrightGRN. There will be no guests next week. Uh, as I said, it's going to be an EU special with just me and my stupid voice for the whole podcast. But I am currently lining up people for the following ones. As always, if you have someone you'd like me to try and interview or a subject you'd like me to try and interview someone on, then do let me know at Bro on Twitter, on Facebook at Bro, or at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Despite what the Leave campaign would have you think, people from other countries aren't taking your jobs. No, instead it is robots that you have to worry about. Being built over here, speaking all of the possible languages they've been programmed with, not paying taxes but calculating them for everyone else, and yeah, taking your jobs. Bloody robots. Already, in many supermarkets, the irritating self-service till that gets all confused by how many items you have has replaced the dead-eyed member of staff who gets all confused about how many items you have. And that's the same in banks and various retail shops, meaning that the humans are instead reduced to merely standing by the machines, helping idiots to use them. In reality, the Matrix film would have had the robots keep several humans alive just to tell the other humans, no, plug that in there to be assimilated. Oh, look, shall I just do it for you? Middle skill jobs in the EU fell by 10% between 1993 and 2010 because of machines taking them instead, so it's a genuine threat. And one of the only ways to fight the possibility of robot overlords, apart from an electromagnetic bomb and a laser sword and bravado, could instead be universal basic wage. Labour are considering backing the idea as an alternative to a means-tested benefit system. And the universal basic wage, or UBI, would be a weekly minimum wage given to every adult and child regardless of their circumstance. This idea has actually just been rejected in Switzerland after an overwhelming majority of 77% of the population voted against it, possibly because it would really hit the euthanasia clinic industry if people there were happier. But the arguments for it by the Swiss left were that those doing work, such as unpaid carers, would be able to sustain themselves with a universal basic uh, income and it would pull people out of poverty while helping others with the very high costs of living in Switzerland, you know, on that endless diet of chocolate and cheese, probably. But the right-wing parties fought against it and said that actually a universal basic income would increase immigration because, you know, they haven't yet heard about the robots. 
As for whether or not it'd work in the UK, uh, well, some economists say that a UBI would be unaffordable to implement quickly and not actually possible at all. Um, while others say that it would be an immediate saving instead of all our welfare and benefit systems and could very quickly cut child poverty by 45%. Personally, a universal basic income would mean that I get paid for doing this podcast. So, you know, hurry up, Labour, yeah, before this show starts hosting itself. And I mean, imagine that. If it ran on Windows, most weeks it wouldn't even know how to start. This week, uh, with money-saving expert Martin Lewis backing staying in the EU and a man who's barely conquered breathing without thinking about it, Joey Essex, backing Brexit, I asked you, the people, who you thought the worst people to back either campaign would be and why. Uh, at Budgie on Twitter has said, oh, for fuck's sake, don't ask Ken Livingston who he thinks would be either helpful or harmful. You just know who he'd say. Hitler, 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 Hitler. Um, at Vlizzy Rascal uh, reckons that this is a game that they're already playing uh, between the campaign parties. But he said that Julius Caesar would be a bad one for Remain. Uh, it'd be difficult to believe that he didn't just want us under the oppressive Roman Empire. And if Julius Caesar was backing the Remain campaign, I can imagine Brexit giving all this fear among mongering about how it'll only be a matter of time before we've all lent our ears. Uh, at Ethan D. Lawrence, he reckons the uh, the governator for leave, uh, he's said it enough times, you know he'll be back. At Alex Warner, uh, says Alan Partridge, he didn't say for Remain or leave. Uh, I mean, God, I'd, I would like to see that. I think that would be... Uh, Alan Partridge needs to back someone fairly soon. Um, at Mr. N. Sandwich, <laughs> said that it is hard to think of anyone worse than the triumvirate of twattery that is Boris Johnson, Michael Gove and Ian Duncan Smith, to be honest. And at Ed underscore Sun says it's hard to beat reality and sent me a picture of John McCurick backing the Brexit campaign. Which to be fair, I think John McCurick is a good backer for Brexit because if we just put his face on big billboards all around the UK, it would definitely stop uh, any migration over here whatsoever. And that's all for this week's show. Um, as I said earlier, next week's is going to be an EU special. Uh, if anything to do with the EU can be remotely special. Um, no interviewee. It's just going to be me trying to make sense of all the nonsense before the vote. So if you do have any questions or specific things you'd like to know or, uh, you know, we're just like any actual information about it all for once, then do let me know and I will try and answer your questions as best as I can. Otherwise, please do tell others about this podcast uh, if you enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, why not hold a pointless referendum with your own brain weighing up the options over the next few months as to whether you continue to listen or not. And yes, I say this every week, but please, please, please do review us on iTunes, please. I mean, if you don't... Probably. This week's show was brought to you by numbers that are based on four people that were at home during the day, bothered to answer their home phone and are probably racist. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 